0: Color of Leadership. A seat at the table. Join Dr. Anthony Rice and his more than 20 years of education. Let's talk. No. No. This is the Color of Leadership. All right, hey, 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 I want to welcome our audience to another great episode of The Color of Leadership. Here with us today, we have an extraordinary guest with us. Today, but before we start, I'd like to introduce myself as well as my co-hosts. My name is Dr. Anthony Rice. I am the host of The Color of Leadership, and my co-host is Angelique Butler. Excuse me, Dr. Nice. An- nice. Dr. Nice Dr. to be here today, Dr. Angelique Butler. I'm sorry about that. And yes, today we have <laughs> our very own. Um, uh, coordinator of special education, Dr. Nakama with us today. So when we start, um, I always want to just kind of start with an interlude and just kind of see how everybody get the temperature of our um, of our audience. But we start with our, with our co-host and myself. How are you doing, Dr. Butler?
1: I'm doing great. I'm doing great on this 90 degree weather day. But uh, other than that, you know, we're just happy to be here. Happy for another exciting show.
0: Exactly. So what we like to do is what we and a lot of our audience don't really understand the purpose of our show. But a lot of times what we want you guys to know is that the purpose of our show is is to increase interest in the representation, uh, underrepresentation of people of color, specifically African leadership or principal positions even director positions, um, it would be beneficial to consider consistent targeted recruitment as well as intentional implementation and monitoring programs for people of color who are aspiring to be in for professional advancement. Um, For these avenues have the potential to not only optimize opportunities for African-Americans or people of color. We're just waiting for the attempts to identify viable solutions for a limited amount for students people of color so that they have an opportunity to get in these positions and so they can get in these seats so just so we know that the color of leadership is a platform that was established to provide a forum for critical conversations who our guests are leaders or ability to support underrepresented groups um, public education uh these extraordinary leaders share their own personal journeys and provide valuable information for anyone who is either a leader who is trying to be to advance in the educational system. So who we have with us today is Dr. Nakama, who exemplifies everything that we're promoting on this podcast. Uh, she will have the opportunity to share with our audience her passion for the educational leadership and how she works with our students with special needs. So long but shortly, welcome, Dr sharon nakama how are you doing today
2: oh i'm doing great thank you so much dr rice thank you for the wonderful um introduction and it's really nice to meet dr butler and just uh, uh being a part of this and the opportunity and the honor of being able to be interviewed today it was, uh, i know you've been trying to get me for the past couple of years <laughs> I have. so i'm excited to be here i'm very excited thank you so much
0: no, thank you, Dr. Kaman. We are excited about interviewing you today and so excited about the work that you're doing in education, specifically with the students with special needs. But um, before we begin, i like to start off by I always ask everyone our participates the first question that we ask, what has been your personal and professional journey into the current, your current leadership position?
2: Well, you know, I, I, if you don't mind, I'm going to go back a little bit because I think my family history is very important and has had played a very big impact on my journey. Um, I did not appreciate when I was younger uh, what my parents have gone through, their struggles to, to get ahead and as I got older, when, as I became older, I re, I started to realize more. My my mother's from Okinawa and my dad's from Hiroshima. My dad passed away about 20 years ago, but he was, um, I'm sorry, his family was from Hiroshima. But they grew up on uh, sugar, can, sugar cane plantations in Hawaii and they were extremely poor. So they did not truthfully have the means to go to college, go to, uh, you know, their their thought was to, you know, get a job and start working and uh, uh, save for their family, which they did. And they put my sister, brother, and I through schools, and um, we ended up having a very blessed life. Um, uh, but as time went on, I did not fully uncomprehend the impact that they were going to have on me as I moved forward. And so after I finished high school, you know, during high school, I was I was a typical teenager and I was a bully and I was, uh, not, not that all teenagers she are
0: bullies. Said, she but, said bully.
2: <laughs> but that's the yeah. truth. I was part of a, right. a bad crowd when I was growing up. And, uh, but okay. I, had, what's that, Dr. Butler? No, I just said, okay. I mean, I'm sure there <laughs> there are people who can share that same story. Just, just being truthful, just being truthful. And, transparent. Being real. <laughs> and so when I went to uh, college, I started realizing because I had, other experiences with um, other students who have gone through the similar backgrounds of their parents struggling and seeing what, uh, uh, what it meant to them. So I ended up pushing my way through school and I wasn't the greatest student, but I had that motivation and the incentive to make my family's life better. Like I felt education, you know, something along the way, just kind of plugged along and realized that I need to move forward. I also had uh, a counselor who was very negative with me and didn't think I was college material. Uh, I was you know, a C.D. student uh, and stuff, and she didn't think I was college material, I should go join the service. Not that anything's wrong with joining the service, but she didn't see that potential in me. And I did not fit that Asian American stereotype, but I ended up going to, community college which was a stepping stone and I I always encourage people if you don't make it into Cal State go to community college and and work your way around that and stuff and um then I ended up uh getting my master's degree and Going off and getting my doctorate eventually, and um, who would have ever thought? I went to my 40th reunion, and they're like in shock. They're like, "You got it. you <laughs> Not you? I didn't believe it? You didn't fit the stereotype. What's up with that?" So, but anyways, I ended up, uh, you know, working with LA Unified School District. I started off as an aide, was there for 17 years, and and working in a class for uh, with students with special needs changed my life. And it really made me realize that this this population uh, is under underrepresented in the the area of needs, like um, the recognition that they they were not getting. And I really felt uh, this was going to be my my destiny. So I ended up working as a administrator in LA Unified for seventeen years. I moved on and came out to Riverside because my my sons are deaf. And so I put my sons at uh, the School for the Deaf and I went back to the classroom. Uh, But I ended up with a medically fragile class that literally changed my life. And it's the medical fragility that I realized that uh, these are students, I had eight, seven, eight students at a time in wheelchairs who were quadriplegic and um, nonverbal. And they were very much overlooked. They were the more, I mean, when we talk of special ed, These were the students who were really the most, um, you know, when we, yeah, severe, and not just that, but neglected by our system, I felt. And just, I'm not just talking about one district, I'm just talking about nationwide. We don't, they don't even have a strong curriculum for this population. And, uh, you know, so we want to look at uh, things like that going forward and stuff. So, but that's, that's been my, my journey. And then I, from there, I ended up going back into administration and I'm currently working as a coordinator of special ed. I oversee uh, 16 school sites with 41 classrooms of students with mod severe populations uh, in them. But um, I really enjoy working um, with the mod severe population because I feel they are very much needing to have that uh, a person who's passionate about them not just there for the job and I'm one that's for passion and if you're going to be in a position of leadership you have to be willing to want to make an impact and that's what's really uh, exciting for me to be able to do that in my district
1: makes makes good sense makes mm-hmm. good sense and and
2: I also wanted oh, well. to say I'm very excited because I um, Recently, as I, you know, I, this is my 35th year in education. And um, recently, um, I was selected to be the Region 5 uh, Regional Director for CAPL, which is the, the California Association of Asian Pacific Leaders in Education. And this is going to be like a, a completely new chapter for me in my, my leadership journey to promote and encourage Uh, those of AAPI uh, heritage to move on up into leadership positions or go into teaching. I think it's really important, you know, and this is something that I'm looking forward to. Congratulations on that. Yeah.
1: I I don't know, which is a kind of a good segue into our next question in terms of, you know, as we try to, as you say, uh, navigate the system and of a person of color and a female person of color, which adds another layer to it, did you or you know what are did you have any barriers or challenges and if so you know if you, if you can share them because we really want our listeners to know that there are going to be some barriers and some challenges oftentimes. um and you know you know what were they and how you overcome them can you can you talk a little bit about that
2: well i think i think for myself um in the current position i hold i really strongly believe that um as an asian american female I felt it was important from the beginning of my career that that I really needed to work extra hard to prove myself. I felt that was an important thing on my journey. And um, I, I wasn't, I personally, at that time when I started, I wasn't thinking about moving up, but it was just something I did. I always worked hard as a teacher, as an aide, and whatever it was, I felt that was an important, important step. But I, I had to do it. To make sure that I was I was demonstrating that I can do it, and I felt like I I had to prove it to people sometimes, but not not intentionally, but just kind of subconsciously, and so for me that was uh, something important. But for my current position, I I believe I really was selected based on my reputation. Um, over the years, I've done many things that um, people got wind of. That were impactful for the district within the special education uh, field, and so um, I think I earned a, a, a reputation over the years, and that was something that really helped me. I believe in my current position, and um, you know I was raised like I told you, my parents growing up on sugarcane plantations and having a tough life. You know they said that you just got to work hard, you expect nothing, and you don't give up, and I think I followed their their beliefs in that. And it really pushed me.
1: So, so some of the things, you know, and, and, and I'm going to elaborate a little bit on that particular question, you you know, it got to the point where you said, you know, you, you kind of, you your reputation kind of preceded you, right? Um, what kind of things you said, you did some things you knew that you needed to do to put yourself other than obviously having the advanced degrees that you have. Um, did you, can you remember that you did that said that
2: really showed people
1: that, you know, she's got it.
2: So I think I think when I was in uh, a district, near our district, Anthony, uh, Dr. Yep. Rice, um, yes. when I was a teacher of that medically fragile class, I went into that class just thinking, I need to teach these kids. These kids are in wheelchairs, and they're not just coming to school for babysitting. I don't do babysitting i got, i worked hard for my credentials i got to do something something with them so we started uh with my instructional assistants and everyone we started the very special art fair with 23 kids it grew to be 850 students with special needs district-wide and um we brought all the kids to the high school i was working at and uh, along with general ed peers that were at the high school. And we had a huge art fair in the gym. I've got, I got donations left and right. I had activity centers for all of the uh, students that participated and they were hosted, there are 10 activity tables hosted by 10 different clubs. And all of the, te- I got 64 classrooms to come to this. And my transportation was saying, we don't have the funding. So I called up, Student Transportation of America, and I'm throwing their name out there because they were so kind. I spoke to the vice president and he said, I said, hey, this is a nice tax write off for you. This is for (laughs) disabilities. It's going to be a great event. Don't you want to be the one to sponsor this? And they did. So we brought 64 classrooms to the, the very special art fair. Um, in that school district and it would, turned out to be a great thing. So people talk about it today. Like, what, I, I'm in another district now and they're like, hey, you're the art lady that, that did the big thing. <laughs> and it just brought attention to me. But I told people, you know, if you just do your job and you do it with passion, you know, it's not just, it's, it's, it's gonna be beneficial for everyone and people need to understand that. It's not about me trying to get recognition when you do things, and I think sometimes people go into it wanting recognition, like when they try to do something, but it shouldn't be like that. You do it with passion and it will pay off. It'll come to you, you know?
0: Yeah, I I agree. And Dr. Nakama, I've, I've had the opportunity to work with you for four years now in terms of in your role and in my roles as an administrator and the with you, because you're right. When you say we, we always have to really prove ourselves in the roles that we're in. And I know it's not always about the recognition, but for me, just putting it out there. I mean, I think you're doing an amazing job with the work you do with, it, especially with those, the, the most severe students and the most severe population and the most severe teachers and how you and, and why don't you? Do, I would like you to talk about um, some of the things, some of the activities that you bring to the district in terms of for that that specific subgroup, so that they have an opportunity for inclusion. And I want you to talk about that because it's important for our listeners to hear that because a lot of times they understand the benefits for those students as well. Let's so kind of share with them, like I said, the special that you bring over to the district that you do annually, a lot of things that you're doing at the to kind of bring inclusion for our for our students. Can you kind of share that with the audience as well?
2: Well, you know, Dr. Rice, I feel, I mean, everyone in special ed knows that we have a major crisis with inclusion, <laughs> that, that we are yes. not up to par with inclusive practices. Absolutely. We still have a long way to go. Um, you know, throughout the, the state, I don't know of any district, I would love to see the district that's 100 percent fully included in doing what they need to do but but we're moving forward in our district and I feel that that's a great thing. You know as long as you're moving forward. And so some of the things that I've done number 1 I, I want to say is meeting with the Mod Sevier teachers. You know we our teachers are on an island at their school sites. They're the some of them are the only Mod teachers. Some of them have maybe a partner, but meeting with them on a monthly basis is critical. And we give mm-hmm. them information, we give them training, we talk about inclusive practices, we talk about things that need to be done and, uh, and implemented for our students with severe disabilities that they would not get at a regular staff meeting with everybody else. So that's why these job-alikes that we have are critical. The second thing yeah. is sharing with the teachers and getting them to understand that on the IEP, which is the paperwork for the student, Uh, with a severe disability, that they need to make sure that they are not putting 100% in special ed. Every student, every single student, no matter, even if they're in a wheelchair and they're medically fragile, it should not say 100%. They should be going out into the, the campus, eating lunch with the kids, eating with everybody else, they should be, you know, maybe mainstreaming in choir class or art class or band or music. So those are things that we're really pushing. But then I've done some um, district-wide stuff at at our adult transition program. We have the big rally around fitness where we get all the adult transition students from all the four comprehensive high schools to come together at the adult program and have a big sports day. And then we also recently did the big extravaganza, which had 17 uh, performing arts acts with special ed and general ed students uh, mixed together. Pardon me, I should say students with special education services, because I share with the teachers that we don't have special ed students. We have general ed students that receive special ed special services. Ed. And people need to understand that. We, we yes. no longer say those special ed kits. Those, those days are yes. gone. We have to say the general ed students who are receiving special ed services who happen to have an IEP. And so, right. um, you know, getting the, the mindset and understanding right. how important these things are, are uh, something that I've worked with the district for uh, the past few years. So, oh, right. wow. and we have a long we have a long way to go, Doctor Rice. Yes, long, we
0: yes we do yes yeah. we do, Doctor Nakama.
2: Yeah, well, let me ask you because you've kind of
1: mentioned you, what well, you did, but I just kind of want to, you know, in my years of education, special ed is one of the ones that yeah, I know for a fact that is very necessary but very challenging. It's a, it's a, an extremely challenging just for some of the reasons that you say you're getting. We'll say, "quote unquote," gen, the general ed population. Right, to understand the special the the, the, the world right of, of that this isn't made up this is a, this is a disability, but they are very capable, which makes it very challenging, right because as you said you're changing you're trying to change mindsets, but I'm sure you knew that I'm assuming you knew that going into it so the question is is although we know it's necessary, we know it's challenging, what made you personally because you could have went in a lot of directions, you know what I mean you could have went into. You know, I don't know what your undergrad was in, but you could you could have went in that direction, or what your credentialing is. What made you pursue a career in special education?
2: I look back when I was teaching in the Baldwin Hills area of LA Unified, and they said, "Hey, you're going to have this class." I was a new teacher. You're going to have this class of of uh, deaf students, and I went ahead and worked there. And I remember the special needs students were passing by my classroom during passing period. This young man, Tommy, came up to me and he took his hand and he's put his hand on my throat and he put a oh. little pressure on me and he said, hello. And then he walked away <laughs> and I said, <laughs> this was interesting. And so then by the next year, I was teaching his class and I from there on, I just loved working with the population of moderate to severe, and um, I ended up just following the pathway with that. Um, and I ended up in this position because it was to oversee the mod severe programs. I thought this is going to be this can be awesome, and because I'm going to be able to make a difference, and to and and I enjoyed working in places where I can really make a difference and people can see it, and so. Um, I felt that the mod severe population, like I said earlier, underserved, they're they're lacking a lot of accountability at the sites. And that's something that I still want to continue to work at. And, um, you know, where services are not being implemented effectively, we've got to keep working on that. And the number one thing, I think the parent, teacher, and administrator frustrations that I would see, um, you know, sometimes parents weren't getting, you know, they would they would speak up for what they wanted for their child and they weren't getting it because the district, and I'm not just talking about one district, I'm talking about nationwide. This is a, you know, and when a parent speaks up, you end up looking like the bad one, but you know, they 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 need to learn how to work with the parent and build that relationship. That's why we're blessed that in our district, we did, you know, 20 trainings times two of, IEP facilitation uh, meetings to, to learn how to work with parents and so forth. But, but something I just want to say is I empathize. I empathize with these students so much because I have students, three, uh, excuse me, I have four children and three of them are deaf. One of them is deaf with autism. And so I've been there with, these, with my own children and going through the process of Uh, having a child with special needs and the challenges when I would speak up and so forth. So I can empathize with the parents, but I tell, when I do trainings with the teachers and the instructional assistants, I tell them, you have to remember, and I've been in this business for 20, 35 years. So I, I would say, you have to remember the 20, 20, 60 minutes rule. And they're like, what's that? What's that? I said, you know, imagine if 20 minutes or 60 minutes, 20, 20 or 60 minutes had a camera on the wall in your classroom, would you say it? Would you do it? Or would you touch that student in that way? You gotta think twice before you do something in your classroom. And and because if it were you, if it was your child, if it was your friend, would you want that to happen to you? And I'm gonna give you a good example of what happens in the changing room because I would change my own students with my aides. And sometimes you'd have people save comments or things while they're changing students and then that were just inappropriate. And, and I think to myself, if I were the person laying on that changing bed, having my diaper change, you know, and, and someone making a, a, a smelly motion like, oh, that stinks or something like that, I would feel embarrassed. I would feel humiliated. And those are things that happen in special ed mod severe classrooms when people are changing. how how you talk to students, treat them, you have to treat them with humility. And that's what our kids deserve. And we deserve that if we were on that changing table or in that wheelchair. So empathy is a huge thing that I try to work with our teachers and aides on uh, understanding that when you're in that classroom, if you want to be there, you be there, but you be there with empathy. So that's kind of why I selected... To move in the direction I am, because I really feel like I can make an impact, and I'll I'll talk straight with people because I was a parent and uh, I am a parent, but you know I, I want them to understand and empathize. So yes.
1: yeah, and 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 to in that one and that was why I asked because you and I both know Dr. Rice. There's this a huge amount of openings in special education, right? You can go to any um I don't know any kind of other you know thing that they put out in terms of vacancies, right? Because they're, they're, they're difficult positions, but when you go into it, you're not going into it just because they're open, right? You're going into it knowing that one, you know, that it, it can be challenging, but, but rewarding. And two, those are some things that as you want to get employed in that particular position, because we're talking about, of course, trying to, you know, groom or lack of better words, um, people of of trying to get them into leadership positions that you're going into it with passion and you're going into it with empathy and 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 the rest, if if you're going into it with passion and empathy what i hear you saying dr nakama is that the rest kind of you know you can take it from there the the things that you do you're doing because you have a passion and you see a need and the rest is history and then once you let your passion your empathy come through people see that
0: in you yeah that's so true yeah Mm-hmm. That makes sense, um, and and you know what, Dr. McCom. I, I mean, honestly, I mean you you advocate for our students, and I think we need more educators like you who do that who do that work. And so, you know, I've had an opportunity to be in several districts, and being in several different districts, you get an opportunity to kind of see the um, I would say the disproportionate number of students of color that are being over identified in special education. So my question that I have is, you know, because we've been in several districts, but and I know you have a mindset of, 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 of processes, of things like that. How do you think districts can begin to address that issue of disproportionality for certain students with special needs?
2: Well, the first, as you know, Dr. Rice, is training and accountability. That, that's something we are, we are lacking, and it's gotten worse since the pandemic. Because of the other issues going on with staff of uh, absenteeism and you know with our even with our student absenteeism and so forth but but it really starts with the training and accountability so so when I left the second largest district in the nation uh, they that was eighteen years ago and they were starting that already they were starting on the, the, the um the enormous amount of african-american students being placed in ed classrooms and they started doing intensive training 18 years ago about uh hey just because the students having behaviors we don't put them in an ed classroom let's find out what we can do to prevent that and this was 18 years ago back in la unified and so when that was when i left so because of the training back there i got it like i understood that even now, kids coming back from the pandemic, it's it's we have you know, hey, we got to quickly assess them. We gotta we gotta put them in a more restrictive environment. They need more support. Get them out of general ed. Put them in a mild moderate classroom, and then it's and then wh- the mild moderate students get in placed into there, uh It's they're getting stuck there. You know, we don't want to go that route. We want to do the MTSS, uh, multi tiered systems of and we wanted to do uh, train our teachers on UDL, train them on behaviors um, and understanding how to address behaviors and, and to prevent having to move. And looking deep, I think a lot of teachers need to understand and make the connections with parents and reaching out to parents and finding out that there's more than just why this kid's being absent from school all the time. You know, let's find out, let's find out the root of the cause. And so, um, and that goes with training. If we don't train our teachers uh, uh, on this stuff, uh, there's going to be that. There's going to be the group that gets it and the group that needs to get it. And and that's where we're at. Where we have some teachers that are really in tune to it, and we've got those that need to learn. And not just the teachers, the administrators. Administrators need to understand special ed the iep they need to understand all that and and about behaviors and um i think i think one of the biggies is whenever a teacher's doing something wrong uh that needs to be corrected uh the accountability needs to occur in a positive way how can we help this teacher do better and um i that starts at the school site i you know but it also starts with districts training their administrators on seeing this stuff. So a lot has to do with training. And uh, that's uh, something that we all need to learn more of, on.
0: You know, what, Dr. Nakama, I completely, completely agree. Because, I mean, I wasn't, um, I mean, I, I taught PE. And I'm not going to, I was a physical education teacher. And I really had to build my capacity when it came to special education because, I work with that population and not understanding the legalities of things, you can really get yourself in really deep trouble. And like you said, it's very important that administrators understand the needs, not just the needs of special education students, but like you saying, understand the IEP process, understanding the process that that entails so that students are provided with those services. Because a lot of times our our administrators, especially our educators that are going into teaching, they don't have an opportunity to really get that scope of special education support, and a lot of times that support really comes from us, experts, and sometimes we aren't experts, and we have to teach ourselves really how to maintain and understand the special education world, and a lot of people are afraid of the special education world because of the liabilities that are attached to it. But you're absolutely correct. I think that more administrators need to know more about special education so that they, when they are leading, leading these schools and leading these teachers and leading aides and things like that, they have a better scope of, of, of how to explain and how to justify some of the things that are happening in special education. So you're absolutely correct on that.
1: You know, as you, as you talk, you say that, just something that I'm thinking as we're discussing this is that, um, as Dr. I said, the training. But even taking it back, let's say take it back a step further. Like as an administrator, right? That's over that that oversees it. I don't think sometimes, and it's no fault of anyone's. I think sometimes teachers or parents, and I'll just say teachers, think they're doing the right thing. They really, I think, believe. One, they think they're doing the right thing because the first thing they'll tell you is I'm not trained in that. Right. I'm talking about as we identify students. Right. Right. I tried this and it didn't work or whatever. I'm not training that. And so a lot of times, you know, as you're saying the training, but I don't know if they really know that, you know, unless, you know, special education um, should be if you can, the last resort, right? I mean, like we want students to not be in the least restrictive environment. And I don't know if they really understand what that means. You know what I mean? What that means Correct. is restrict Correct. that right there, that the LRE to me is a conversation in itself. You know what I mean? It's, it's huge. What does that do
0: to a student? Go ahead. Dr. How, right how I explain me? that? to our audience, please, because I don't think a lot of people understand that.
2: So as we started this interview at the beginning, remember I said how almost every district, you did, tell me the district that is not Mm -hmm. compliance with LRE. Absolutely. And we start off at least restrictive environment in gen ed only. Student who's Mm -hmm. in gen ed only is in the least restrictive environment. It's when Mm -hmm. they go all the way to the other end and they end up in a non-public school or if they're on... A home hospital, those are restrictive environments because they're not with their peers at a, on a, a comprehensive campus. And so, uh, moving more restrictive or like having a one to one, you know, we have a lot of, no, I'm not just talking about our district, just in general, there's a lot of one to ones that are placed with students who are at the high school age and who are going to be out of high school soon. And we need to train them on how to work independently. That's getting them. Having a one-to-one is considered very restrictive because there's someone next to you doing everything for you. So teaching them and moving them off. So so the less supports that a student has, puts them place them in the least restrictive environment. But the supports that can be provided are through UDL and learning how to extinguish behaviors. When teachers learn how to extinguish behaviors then they're able to work with the student and move them to a lesser restrictive environment. And so we want to see the movement going more toward the gen ed classroom as the student gets older, right, you know, and and provide combinations, combinations. right? Correct. Correct. And so when we Mm -hmm. get students who are in high school being referred to special ed, we wonder why, unless something traumatic happened to them, and they're having some type of, emotional, I mean, you know, or an accident occurred and they physically have something happen to them and they need special ed support. But uh, you wonder why all of a sudden you have, you know, students, uh, like, for example, still receiving speech services. You know, they're already in high school, they're in 11th grade, Um, you know, they've been having speech for 11 years. And is it still something that that's really impacting them? Or is it just something that you know, we're just giving it out just to give it because parent does, parent wants it or something. Is it really helping them getting pulled out every every week? Or is it better to keep them in the classroom learning, you know, and stuff? And so there's just a lot of areas of LRE that, um, you know, training is the key for people to really right. understand that.
1: Right. And for the, our listeners, who, you, you know, I don't want to UDL, universal design lessons, right? Like we design lessons... For our English learners. Right. We provide lessons um, in for the most part, unless I said they're very they're very designated and they're newcomers. We provide them lessons within the least restrictive environment, the re- general education. Right. Classes. And so I think I think universities are doing a better job at that.
2: Um, universities, but I think that we, I was going to say the universal ahead. design for learning. And so, yes. so universities, because I teach at one of the uh, universities in the um, credentialing program and master's program. Me too. Um, yeah. And I teach language and literacy in the classroom. And we teach, we have a whole session on UDL. And so the mm-hmm. teachers coming out of the program should know about UDL, but right. um, it's concerning when they don't. But it's our veteran teachers that are new to it. That's our need to learn more about those accommodations available and they have to be open to it. So. Right. Yeah.
1: Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And you know what? I'll just one. I learned this way back in the day when I was an assistant principal and I was over the special ed department. And I just remember um, there was a person that was over me. I won't say her name. But, but, you know, I, I, I probably should because she she educated me and um, Patty Adams, and she educated me. And I remember she would go, um, she she would really fight hard, really fight hard. And I remember her saying to me, um, a special, uh, uh, wait, a general education C is better than a special, a special education A any day of the week. And I understood, it took me a couple of years to get, okay, so I know what you're saying. Yes, I can get an A in a class, you know, whether it is, you know, like I said, modest severe, or mild to mod. In a mild to moderate class, I could I could possibly get an A. But to be teach to be teach to be taught with general edu- the general education population and challenged right and challenged, uh, and so you get a C. That's great. That's that's great that you you know and maybe be above that that's great because what can you do with that? You can also take that. And if you decided, you know, that you wanted to try to apply to a four year, there's other there's other ramifications of keeping a student in a special education only classroom. But those are things I don't think we break it down sometimes to a very basic level of why the, why the LRE is, quote unquote, restricting. You've just set the pathway sometimes for a student that could do so much more. And what, what would life be like for the, these particular students, right, that you change the trajectory of their whole life. Sometimes when you do that, and so then you, you have people that are going into the profession, right, or going into special education, understanding that, and you know, or not. Maybe they're their general education teacher that needs to understand that. And I think we, I think sometimes we're remiss in really breaking it down of, of why it can potentially be a problem for a student. And even sometimes I've had to talk to parents about because they'll do sometimes what educators tell them to do, right, right, right. And how and teaching parents to advocate for those accommodations and make make districts and make us, I'll just say, follow through. Right.
0: That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Very much. So, Doctor, yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Doctor Nakama, so I got I got a couple more questions for you. And so, as we ask these questions, I, the next question is geared around more of an HR. And I know we're not HR, but you've been in education for a long time. You say thirty years, and I understand you, you've seen you've seen things, and I, and I you probably seen things and said I would do it this way, and I would help them do it this way. Like you said, you're a teacher, you teach in the, in the uh, arena as well. So, what are your thoughts, or what are your ideas? Uh, do you have? on how to increase and assist in hiring more ethnically diverse teaching or administrative staff?
2: Well, you know, first and foremost, foremost, uh, districts need to look at ability. That That's the most important thing, I believe, because we wanna make sure whoever's gonna be placed in that position, they're able to do the job and do it effectively, with passion, and are gonna be good at it. Cause we need, you know, uh, not just good, but great. Cause we don't just need good educators, we need great educators. But I really believe that the the organizations like CASA and CASLA and uh, CAPL can make an impact on this. Um, the reason I say that is when I was in, in the second largest district in the nation, <laughs> they had an organization, APA, Asian Pacific, uh, uh, Asian Pacific American Association. And APA, uh, in LA Unified, I'm sorry, I don't want to use the district's name, but okay. they, they were great to have a process to get on a administrator list. You had to do the star report, you had to do the interview, and you had to pass a 200 multi-question uh, exam. Otherwise, you're not going to get picked. doesn't matter who's recommending you you won't get picked if your name doesn't get on that list. So you had to pass that test on procedures and policies, and they had district memos to study and all that. And what APA did was APA provided ongoing every year a six week study group session for all of their members. And it didn't matter what color you were, you were welcome to come if you wanted to study for this exam. And and something like that, them reaching out to people of color to, to Encourage them and support them in promoting was something that was very um, instrumental in many administrators getting hired in the, of of color of getting hired in LA Unified, and I think statewide, those three organizations have the power to be able to reach out to to um, uh, teachers to go on to become administrators, people to come into education. If they do the training and they become aware and, and network, have that support. So I really think um, that's something that's that's extremely important. And it's important for these organizations to work with the district, you know, working with the district, showing up at district events and, and being able to promote the, the need for that type of support and pro- providing mentors for them. And I think
0: right. that's a huge thing too. Yeah, mentorship Mentors. is huge. <laughs> mentorship, yeah. You know, when, when people say mentorship, that just, I mean, I don't have a lot of hair, but that just makes my hair. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Dr. Nakama, and so usually what I do when we close out um, within our conversation, I really want to just talk about some of the key points you talked about. And some of the key points that we got out of this conversation is, you know, having educators who have a little bit more empathy for the students that we deal with, not just student, not, not just special ed students, but even general ed students and having a little bit more empathy, uh, providing more training for our teachers and for our administrators and, and on some of the special education um, processes and some of the legalities of special education and then holding people accountable for the jobs that they're doing is very important because a lot of times we, we lose sight of holding that people accountable for what they do, but I've seen you do that several times in terms of (laughs) holding people accountable. No. And and it's great, Dr. Nakama, because just, just understand that we're in a, we're in the, we're in the business for kids and we're in a business for students. And if we aren't held accountable for the way that we're offering support and resources for our students, and if they're not able to be successful, then they're not able to succeed. And so I, I think that accountability is important and then you said something that was very intricate in terms of this you said not just getting good educators you said getting great educators because sometimes we can especially in special education we would go just to fill a seat with a subpar person just to fill a seat for a student and I think that you said that perfectly in terms of having that those individuals be great those I feel Personally, that special education teachers, teachers, I think all teachers need to be the best teachers, but specifically special education teachers, teachers, they need to be the best because those students are the students that have the most needs and they need the best people around them so that they're able to be successful. So those are some of the components that I took out of, of our conversation. But before we exit, I always want to give you an opportunity to Shout out to anyone that has been very instrumental into you, in your career and what you've done. It could be your, your family. It can be someone that was very instrumental in mentoring you because you did say mentorship. So before we close, I want to give you an opportunity to give a shout out to whomever you, you'd like, and then we'll go from there. Then I'll close out the show.
2: Well, I I want to say that Karen Masurlian, she was, um, my childhood friend from when I was ten, she encouraged wow. me all the way, all the way through, and we're still friends. We still talk uh, uh, on a daily basis, practically. And she has ended up being the Buena Park Teachers Association president, but she really told me, you know, that you got to you got it, you have it, you got the potential. And like I said back then, when I was in high school, I was not a good kid, and I didn't think I had that potential. But it was having a friend like that that really encouraged me in a positive way. And then the second person, I have to say, Dr. LaFay Platter. Platter. She, <laughs> she just, you know, going through that doctorate with her, it was a just do it. I met her I yesterday. I was, I had to see what I got. Yeah. Just yesterday? Just yesterday? Yes. Oh, she's yes. wonderful. And so, you know, I think that those, her words just, I mean, I could just see her face just, Saying, just do it, just do it, yeah. and and I did it, and it was her encouragement. But I really, you know, there's a lot, lot of more people that I've had the honor of being in, uh, connected with. But you know, the it's it's good. It's it, people people need that connection uh, to get them through things, and um, uh, it, it's really a, a been a blessing for me. So, but thank you so much to both of you for letting me have this opportunity. It's been fun.
0: <laughs> thank you Dr. Nakama
2: yes it's been enlightening and, and I'm just going
1: to say this and so I like your story because now we know right how you can become as you you continue to say, not a good student to you know you you self-proclaim not a good student to a great educator right so yes, there are absolutely. people out there
2: you can you can do this
1: you know your story is inspirational.
2: Exactly. thank you do, Dr. Rice. you're still working with kids so if you uh you uh, uh end up meeting a bully, you told him, Hey, you can change. Don't you <laughs> hey, do <it."> right. <laughs> she did
0: I did it. I will, can Dr. Do Nakama. <laughs> I will, Dr. Nakama. And you know what, I would be remiss I would be remiss not to say this because I've worked with again, I go back to say I worked with Dr. Nakama for, for, for several years. And I know we've had several conversations in, in regards to upper mobility and, and moving forward. And I, I truly wanna just say, Dr. Nakama, I I I believe That your capacity in terms of your your leadership and what you do is straight director level, director level, and so at director, and I and I would say that if if you didn't continue on that person pursuing, I, I I, it would be heartbreaking for kids, especially those kids with special needs. So I would hope that you would continue that journey on on your journey to whatever you plan on doing. But I do believe that your your passion for those. For that subgroup and for special students with special needs, it's important because we don't have a lot of educators that are doing this work. And it was so exuberating of having you on our show. And before I close out, I'd like to just say thank you to our audience for another opportunity of listening to The Color of Leadership. I'd like to thank Dr. Butler for her leadership and her wisdom and her questions. And again, we're going to close out with The Color of Leadership and see you guys again soon with another ex- Extraordinary conversation with a great leader. But thank you, Dr. Nakama, for being here again on The Color of Leadership. Thank you. Thank you.
2: Bye bye.